for the first time ever, right? Like, wow, I, I actually feel safe in my body. Okay, well, now the brain can make a different story other than the story that it's being told of, I'm not safe anywhere. I'm not safe with anyone. I can't even trust myself for goodness sakes. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Amy Apigian. Dr. Amy is a double board certified medical physician in both preventative and addiction medicine and holds double master's degrees in biochemistry and in public health. She's the leading medical expert on addressing stored trauma in the body through her signature model and methodology, the biology of trauma a new lens that courageously uplevels the old methods of trauma work and medicine by reverse engineering trauma's effects on the nervous system and body on a cellular level. Dr. Amy specializes in trauma, attachment, and addictions after having personal experience in foster parenting, adopting, and then having her own health issues that were a result of childhood and life experiences. In addition to her medical studies that have included functional medicine certification, she has sought out trauma therapy training since 2015. You may have heard the term, the issues are in the tissues. Well, my next guest, Dr. Amy, is going to tell you exactly how that happened and more importantly, what you can do to release it. You're going to love this conversation with my brilliant friend and colleague, Dr. Amy. Here we go. Okay, everybody, you are in for such a treat because I have my friend, Dr. Amy Apigian with us. And you know how you always hear me say the issues are in the tissues. Well, Dr. Amy knows exactly how that goes on. More importantly, she knows how to help us through all of this. So we're going to be talking about stored trauma in the body and its effects. Welcome, Dr. Amy. Hi, thank you, Debbie. It is, it, I, I'm so excited for this conversation. Like we have so much to talk about and really excited to dive deep into people, give them hope and tools for a topic that can otherwise be heavy. So. Absolutely. So let's just talk about trauma. Let's just go with the very basics. Tell us about trauma and what happens when we experience something traumatic. Yeah, so many people just don't understand the difference between stress and trauma. And yet this, there are very distinct differences that happen in our biology that happen in that moment of trauma. And so you can think of stress as like when you are, um, when, when you are say running the marathon, right? Or, or if you're holding up a rock, right? Like you've got this huge rock or maybe you've got several rocks depending on like if you're like my friend, Dr. Debbie Silver, and she's got probably several <laughs> rocks that she's holding up all at the same time. <laughs> Wonder Woman. And, and so you're holding up these rocks and you're juggling everything. It's stressful, but you're doing it. You're pushing through. And then there comes that moment in time when you can't hold up the rocks anymore and they crush you. That moment of crushing can come in several different forms. It can be all in one moment. We call that like an emotional heart shock right? It, it's not like you expected it. It came out of, out of nowhere. And that's, but it, it feels like something has crushed you. That feeling of overwhelm, a collapse, a crushing, that is the moment that trauma happens in our body. And it really is the body's experience of, I don't know if I can take this, like this feels bigger than what I can handle in this moment. It's not a brain decision. It's a body's experience of overwhelm. 
And I'll tell you, uh, a lot of the listeners, the viewers of this podcast, they have experienced that heart shock. And that's exact. And I know personally, I have too. It is that feeling of because I, I had never experienced anything like that. And I've been through trauma, but there was something specific to the trauma of betrayal that got me right in my heart physically. Mm-hmm. And it is like there's a natural physical sensation. And it's interesting, Debbie, because those physical sensations are actually what our body and mind tries to protect us from the most. We can go through excruciatingly hard things physically, right? Like whatever, physically we can handle pain, but emotionally and those sensations in the body, like your heart actually physically hurting, like how do you, how do you, how do you soothe your heart? You can't touch your heart, right? Whereas if you you know, get a sliver in your finger. Well, you can put pressure on it. You can, you can do something about it. You can access it. When we have these body sensations, we can't really access them. And so we find that the body starts to go into bracing patterns in order to try to cut off those sensations of a broken heart, of that heart shock in ways that we're not even aware. So there are these unconscious bracing patterns. A lot of times our shoulders come up because that's actually a way that we can cut off the messages coming up our nervous system, coming up, especially from that vagus nerve, all of, all of our internal sensations, it's called interoception. All of those sensations are coming up and whether we whether they are in our conscious awareness or not, they are coming up to our brain and our brain is responding to them and driving our behavior. And so when we have these bracing patterns that start to develop, that is one way in which I can see in someone in their tissues, literally like, honey, we've got trauma. And you talk to them and they may not be able to access it. They'll be like, no, I'm I'm fine. I'm getting through, right? Like I, I, I'm, I'm pulling myself together and I'm like, I, I know, I know. And I see that. And as soon as we like go underneath the surface, boom, there's going to be a lot of stuff there. So let's do this in a safe way. Let's do this gently because otherwise that, oof, like that, that can be too much and that can re-traumatize us. But at the same time, like there's so many ways in which the body actually tells us we've got stored trauma. And, you know, you just picture like when someone, they know they're headed for a, a car accident, how they, let's say, brace themselves, right? It's it's that bracing. And I guess what you're saying is we're doing this unconsciously all the time after mm-hmm. trauma. It's like we walk around in that state and you could just, as you tighten everything up, you can feel, well, you know, if you were walking around like that all the time, I mean, that could really cause some serious stuff. Oh, it causes all kinds of stuff, right? Like everything from the digestive system to, you know, the muscle aches, the muscle tension. That's also where blood supply starts to get cut off from your muscles. So now you're more prone to developing something like fibromyalgia or chronic pain that have decreased blood flow associated with it. Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is where it all originates. And for some people, for many people, again, unknowingly, these bracing patterns actually started in early childhood when they did not get as much of the co-regulation that their nervous system needed to feel safe and secure all the time. And as babies, you'll see them start to go into bracing patterns in order to start to cut off those body sensations of, I feel lost. I feel like I'm wandering and floating and where, where are the people that are supposed to protect me and keep me safe and nurture and cherish me? 
And so these patterns many, many times are actually from early childhood. And yet a person would not look back at their child and be like, oh, I clearly had trauma, abuse, neglect. No, like it's, these are great parents and they're just following many of the social practices that already result in these trauma bracing patterns showing up. And then we have interpreted it as trauma. You know, and you said about the, the, the restricted blood flow. I remember the first time I heard that it was in John Sarno's book. Yes. It was an amazing ending back pain. I forgot the name of it, but I read it. I remember reading it in the nineties and I had horrible back issues forever. And it made so much sense. I was like, wow. So you're telling me I'm tightening up and walking around in this state. Blood flow isn't going there. And that's why I'm experiencing this pain. That was like one of those eureka moments where you just like, you're like, wow, that totally makes so much sense. It sounds like that's what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. And I, I mean, he is such a great contributor to this whole field and understanding of how, of how the body moves through life in these ways intended to protect us. And yet there are consequences when we have had these kinds of adaptations. So yes, all, all chronic back pain is associated with fear and insecurity. All. Wow. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about why trauma is your biology and not your psychology. What's that about? Yeah. So again, when I was going through my journey, that was kind of still the understanding. I think it's still the mainstream understanding that, Hey, you know, if you, if you have anything that you need to get over, right? Like you just go to therapy, you just go see a therapist. And yet when I did that, I was not getting the results and the change that I wanted in my life. And I saw myself continuing to talk every week about the same thing. (laughs) And I'm like, at what point is this going to end? Like, at what point does this change and get better? Because I'm not seeing change. Yeah. I'll and- tell you, there, there. it's so interesting you say that we have so many people coming into the PBT Institute with therapy trauma. And, and there are some therapists that are absolutely wonderful. But if anything, and I, you know, I talk about the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough. If anything is going to root you like cement to stage three, the survival stage, it's regurgitating and rehashing and going over that same story without coming out of it any better than you went in, without coming out of it with a plan or anything to help move you forward. Right. And so then when we look at what is trauma and we've now identified it, that it's a body's experience of overwhelm and crushing, those sensations that we experience in that moment is actually our internal physiology and biology changing. And trauma leaves lasting effects on our biology. And that's why you see somebody stuck in grief for 20 years. Yeah, That's why you see these kinds of things because it actually becomes our biology that then is actually driving our psychology. And we're thinking that, oh no, it's just, I need to change my thoughts. I need to get over this. I need to talk about this. And we're missing the piece that no, like there's actually been biology changes. And until we look at those and address those, you're going to, you're going to be stuck. So here's where, if I can completely simplify from your brilliant brain, here's where the body is just doing this without the mind having to even bother getting involved. Right. Yeah. It's, it's on automatic and that's what we call it, right? Like we call it the autonomic nervous system (laughs) because it does things automatically to keep us alive. And it's very fascinating to see that the brain's job is to make meaning out of our experiences. 
And so whatever our experience is, our brain creates a story around it, whether that story is true or not. That's not the point. The point is that our brain needs to understand why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it creates a story. It creates meaning. Whereas when we then create a different experience for ourselves through the work with the autonomic nervous system, and we have a different felt experience, like for the first time ever, right? Like, wow, I, I actually feel safe in my body. Okay. Well, now the brain can make a different story other than the story that it's being told of, I'm not safe anywhere. I'm not safe with anyone. I can't even trust myself for goodness sakes. Like yeah. what I got myself into. <laughs> and it's so true because the mind will, will believe, like you said, it'll believe everything we tell it. And, and even something as simple as uh, fear and excitement, right? Like is it, it's like the same kind of feelings, yet yeah. one we're looking forward to and one we're running away from. But we can make something mean it's scary, but then the next person would make it mean like it's exciting. Yes, and that is this, uh, it's called... Uh, going back to that interoception word, that's that fancy scientific word of your ability to bring to conscious awareness, your internal sensations, like your heart rate mm -hmm. and people who have a greater awareness of some changes in their heart rate, they are actually better able to have moment by moment decisions based on what's going on in my body and be able to accurately um, interpret those messages. Is this a message of excitement? And my heart rate is increasing because I'm excited to see this person. I'm excited to talk to Dr. Debbie. Or is my heart rate increasing because I don't want to talk to Dr. Debbie and I should run, I should cancel. Like this is last minute, but I should cancel, right? Like how do we interpret these sensations when technically like they're, they're so similar and this is where trauma really disrupts that process. Because so let's, let's go into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So because that's, I know I, I, every, my listeners and viewers, like they want to know, give me the how, how do you, so let's say they're feeling something and they're like, uh oh, here goes this familiar pattern and, and pattern. And my, my heart is, is racing and this and that, what would be something, first of all, it sounds like awareness is key. You need to know what's happening here. And then what's, what's something that, like an immediate thing that they could do? Yeah. Um, and this is, this is where like, I need them, I need them to have certain knowledge and tools, Debbie. So I need them to understand like the three states of their nervous system to know, am I in sympathetic? Am I, am I in anxiety or am I in that overwhelm and crushing collapse right now? Or am I in parasympathetic? So they actually need to know those three states to be able to know what to do next. And, and then what we do is I teach them how to track. And so whatever sensation is coming up, then be able to respond to that. And, and it's almost like you're reading your body's cues of what it needs. And as you respond to that, then you're able to track and see, okay, how does this shift for me? Is this, is this getting louder? The longer I stay here, like, no, this really is like, I need to leave. Like this, this is a message that I need to leave. Like, this is not safe. Or is this, is this what's happening and changing? Like, no, it's, it's calming down and it's opening up. I feel my belly starting to soften. I, I feel my shoulders starting to come down. 
But otherwise, without that ability to track those things and know kind of where their, their state is in every moment, it's really hard to know just, oh, just do this one thing, right? And that's where I, I get frustrated with a lot of the, the professions out there that will just be like, oh, we'll take some deep breaths. Okay. And like, what does that mean? Right? Like, right, right. I, I need you to, I need you to do more and I need you to understand more than just take some deep breaths. And actually one of the things that's quite fascinating and fun is that when we learn to track our system, we actually use the breath to measure how it's changing. And when we control our breath, we're taking away that ability for us to actually use that as a, as a tool for measuring change. And so the breath, just with the breath, like when we go into sympathetic and anxiety, then that breath becomes shallow, but fast, mm -hmm. shallow and fast. When we go into the collapse, how a person would know that they are actively in that trauma response is that it feels like your breath has been taken away, mm -hmm. right? Like you're, it's, it's almost non-existent. Like people around you may be like, hey, Debbie, breathe <laughs> right mm -hmm. and you're like I didn't even realize that I wasn't breathing because mm -hmm. like and that's and that's something that is just part of that trauma response the breath goes very shallow but very slow and you're just kind of frozen frozen in time you kind of become disconnected from everything you feel a little bit like you're in a daze like wow what 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 is going on and people can live in that state for for days for months for years and so being able to use the breath as a measure of, hey, just where is my system right now? And how can I shift that? And oh, here, here comes a deep, spontaneous breath rather than me trying to control my breath. It's, it's, a, it's a very different perspective. And yet for people who are wanting tools and like, I want to measure this, like that is one perfect way to measure it is actually measuring your breath. You know what I love about that? It's you're, you're, you're really helping everybody become empowered. It's like, this is your body. This is what your beautiful body has learned to do. And it is showing you based on your breathing where you're at. The more you understand that, the more you know what you, what needs work and the different types of work it's going to need that. I love that. I love that. Cause it's true. You know, just some sort of flippant do this or do that. Um, yes, it's a tool, but how much more effective if we have a, a tool based on a greater understanding of where we're, where we are. I love that. I love that. Let's talk about uh, the role of physical trauma in emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. So I'm bringing all the big questions to you, Dr. Amy, cause I know you can handle them. <laughs> I was going to say, well, yeah, this, this is, this is a big one. And they often do go together oftentimes. Right. And it actually creates a specific biology when there is physical trauma and that biology can also keep someone stuck. So one of the more common physical traumas that we've had are head injuries. And this does not need to be associated with emotional trauma, but certainly sometimes it is. If a person has been in any kind of a, a certainly physical domestic abuse type of situation, or even something like a car accident, right? Where there's a, even just a whiplash, all of that is really going to be directly impacting our nervous system. And there are these cells in our nervous system that are called microglia. 
and they are our guardians. Like they, they protect and they guard our actual nervous system cells so that they can be at their best. And what happens in any kind of an injury like that, that those cells become, ah, like they, they, they turn into ninja warriors that are just unleashing um, cytokines, inflammation, and it becomes a battlefield that just almost destroys everything in, in the neighborhood, right? Like it's not being a sniper and just selecting that one specific danger. It's like, nope, we're just gonna blast everything. And so what happens is that now you've got these, uh, you know, you've got the anxiety, you've got the overwhelm, you've got the, the, the blues, and you're thinking that this is all emotional. And yet we've got this huge component of no, like you actually have these cells that are turned on, we call them activated, and they will be activated by things like a, a poor sleep, uh, eating a food that you're sensitive to, um, stress, even emotional stress can reactivate these microglial cells. And so this is another, another situation in which there's so much of the biology that's underneath one's emotional experience. And as long as that nervous system is in this bath of inflammation, a person is going to be stuck because the nervous system is, is getting this constant message of danger. So it's, it's not going to be relaxed. And if depending on what else is going on in their life, of course, that may just push them closer to that line of overwhelm. And, and you so, can really see, yeah, how one thing impacts the next and the next and the next. Like they feed off of each other. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So, you know, and, and how one thing triggers, which, and speaking of triggers, let's talk about PTSD. You know, what I see in my community is, you know, we used to, I used to think that PTSD was only reserved for like the war vets, you know, they hear the car backfire, they're back in battle. And I have seen, and I've experienced myself, it is very common as it, you know, relates to betrayal too. Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh my goodness, like the, the triggers are all around, right? Like, and it can be something as simple as watching, you know, seeing your partner grab their phone and check their text messages, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden you're back in that inner tension and war zone of, well, what's that text message? Why are they mm -hmm. looking at their phone right now? Who, like who texted them, right? So uh, that's the problem with these, um, ah, with our biology and physiology at this point is that, it sees danger everywhere, whether or not there's actual danger anymore. So our body is still living as if the trauma is happening and our brain has now been wired to predict danger. And so it's like, hey, we, we've been through this experience, never want to go through that again. And so our whole system is now designed for looking like, could this, could this possibly result in the same thing? Could this possibly have any element that's associated with it? Like it's, it's tuned into that for the people who, you know, maybe have in the past uh, decided to buy a car, right? And you're, you're looking around, you're deciding which, which car are you going to buy? And you finally decide on a white Lexus. And now all of a sudden, what do you see everywhere? You see white Lexus vehicles driving everywhere because your brain is now focused in on that. Same thing with the triggers, right? Like the triggers are those things which our brain is actually looking for in order to predict what is going to happen to us. 
And how exhausting is that? Because the triggers can take you right down and bring you to your knees. And then to think that we're actually looking for them because in an effort to, on some level, protect ourselves. It, wow, that it, it takes a lot of re- understanding and rewiring to get ourselves out of that mess. Totally. Well, and that's why many people end up in chronic fatigue because it literally is exhausting and using up their cellular resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we see that so often. The people who take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz in the high sixty-something percent are exhausted, absolutely exhausted. You can see it. If that's where you're spending your time looking for all of that danger, bringing you back to that painful place, well, of of course it's gonna deplete you and be exhausting. And then one of the other states is that, one of the other responses is that freeze response. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, so the freeze response is another common misconception in, in trauma space where people have associated the fight, flight, and freeze as if they're all the same thing. And they are completely different. So fight or flight is a very active process, right? We've just talked about triggers and the exhaustion that comes because you're constantly looking for danger. So as long as you're still holding up that rock, as long as you're still looking out for those triggers, you're in sympathetic and that's fight or flight, right? But the moment that we experience that crushing experience, And this can be from something that happens, or it can be as a result of, I just can't keep this up anymore, right? And so many people go into this freeze response at the end of every day. (laughs) They come home if they've been at work or, you know, they've been able to get through the day with all of the triggers around them and they're absolutely exhausted. And so what do they do? They the body does things that kind of help numb and create a sense of relaxation, but it's not a true restorative relaxation. It's more of a numbed out relaxation, zoning out. That's another way in which people can know that they are in or have been in the freeze response where they're just, they're, you know, they're staring out into space, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> that, yeah. that's not a, an act of like running from a tiger type of activity right right and so and that's the freeze response so the freeze response really not only disconnects us from ourselves and when we're stressed we're also disconnected from ourselves we're very hyper focused on everything around us and outside of us and the people around us and in the freeze response we lose even that and it truly is debbie this this felt sensation of it's been so hard that I just can't care anymore. Do whatever you want because I don't care anymore. And it's not that I don't really care. It's that I don't have the energy to care. And at this point I am having to choose exactly how to spend my energy. And right now all of my energy just has to go to me getting through the day and surviving. Yeah. That is the chronic freeze response. Right. I've never heard it explained that way. And it makes so much sense. It's like, I have used up any of my resources. There is nothing left. And I'm just going to do whatever I need to do to make it to the end of this day so that I can start over tomorrow. It it sounds like that's what, that's what that is. And that's a, um, yeah, I could see how 
then once you're using whatever you're using to to zone out, then it then it becomes a habit, and then you're always in that freeze state at the end of the day or whatever it is because you're not doing anything differently to just move through that experience. Well, Dr. Amy, what do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap this up? That that don't settle here. Wherever you have discovered that you're like resonating with that, whether that's still like you're, you're the one still holding up the rocks or you're the one that's being crushed by the rocks, whichever state, like don't settle. Don't, don't settle for that. There is so much that can be done. And literally, as long as your heart is still beating, it may be broken, but it is still beating. Your lungs are still breathing. Yeah, it feels stuck. <laughs> feels like you can't catch a full breath of air, but it's still breathing. And there's still hope and there's a lot of work that we can do. Oh, that's so wonderful. Give us an example, a quick example of someone you've worked with where they felt their heart wasn't even beating and their lungs weren't even breathing. And then where they are now, just to give everybody a perspective of what's possible. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about Kanti because I know that Kanti was actually someone from your group and, mm -hmm. she, came and she did the 21 day journey with me and she's still going. So she's, she's done now the all parts of me course and she's doing uh, fabulous in her continued work with her own nervous system. And when she first started the 21 day journey, she was one of those that was like, I don't really feel anything. And I'm like, well, yeah, if I were your mind, I wouldn't want to feel your body either. Your body has been through a lot of pain, a lot of betrayal. I wouldn't want to be in your body either. And having that reframed for her where it's like, oh, so this is just a protective mechanism. Got it. This isn't something bad. This isn't just another area in my life in which I'm a failure. <laughs> right? So she started doing the exercises and whether she could feel things or not, right? Like it's just, it's just doing the exercises. It's just putting in the work and it's not a lot of work. We don't want to go too deep. And so for Conti, it really, she was able to pace herself. Well, she showed up to the meetings every day. She's doing these exercises. And then she started the most interesting thing where other people may experience yawns or deep spontaneous breaths, she actually started hiccups. And that was her body's way of starting to talk to us. And she would do an exercise and she'd have this hiccup. And she'd be like, this is weird. And I'm like, oh, let's not use that word weird, right? Like this is your body and this is how it's talking to us. Amazing, like it's finally talking to us. This is great. It's, it's warming up, it's waking up. And what happened is by the end of the 21 day journey, Debbie, her hiccups had turned into burps. And it was the, the coolest thing to see like her body actually responding and waking up and literally like that vagus nerve where so much of our trauma is held runs our stomach. And so, you know, the, the hiccups are more our diaphragm and our breath. The burps are more the vagus nerve and that stomach and digestive system. And so literally just in these 21 days, like she's been able to shift into more of a parasympathetic and it expresses itself with like, oh, yep. And my digestive system is turning back on a little bit and we're going to get a little bit of, of burp and just her smile. So she came in and literally like, it looked like her body was just kind of frozen from all of the fear mm -hmm. that she was continuing to live in. 
And by the end of the 21 day journey, and certainly now, like her smile is so big. Like, I feel like it's going to like fall off of her face because it's just, it's breaking through and she's you know, feeling truly safe in her body. And more importantly, Debbie, at least more importantly for me, like she feels empowered. She no longer feels like the victim because she can actually know her system, track her system and shift her system and finding that she's now staying longer and longer in this state of calm, alive, safe. And it's beautiful. It is. It's a truly beautiful thing. Beautiful. See that burping is a good thing, everybody. Dr. Amy, where do we go to learn more about you and the wonderful work you do? Ah, thank you. Uh, They can find me over at traumahealingaccelerated.com. Have a big biology of trauma summit that's happening this summer in August. And that would be another great resource for them as well. Wonderful. And everybody, I'll tell you, I I have interviewed so many people and worked with so many people. Dr. Amy is the real deal. Her work is phenomenal. She's changed hundreds of thousands of lives and um, definitely be a part of her world. Uh, Her stuff works. Thank you so much for the amazing work you do and continued success. And I know everyone is going to get so much out of what you shared today. Can you see how trauma from long ago may have gotten lodged in your body and how you may have those bracing patterns that's telling your body it's under constant threat? The good news is you can bring your body back into a healthy place and it all starts with awareness. Stay in touch with Dr. Amy by going to traumahealingaccelerated.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Are you in anxiety or overwhelm or a parasympathetic state? Once you realize which one you're in, check your breathing because that's how you'll know. Track your response to that and see how your body shows you how you're doing. Also, that numbing out you may be doing can be driven by the freeze response. And be gentle on yourself. All of this was a means of protection. Stuck and need support? Check out the PBT Institute at thepbtinstitute.com where we have everything you need to move you fully through your betrayal. It's taken enough from you. Now it's time to regain your health, confidence, and happiness. Thepbtinstitute.com. Check it out and give yourself the gift of healing your betrayal and shattered trust so you can love again, feel safe again, trust again. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.